Welcome to Health Impressions, the show about authority, acquisition, and retention. I'm your co-host, Brian Cush, co-founder of Title Health Group, a digital marketing agency specializing in healthcare. I'm accompanied by Jay Parkinson, Chief Medical Officer of SANA, a health plan that delivers high-quality healthcare while keeping costs down. Our show focuses on the cross-sections of marketing, patient experience, and product development. We explore strategies for providing high-quality care, enhancing patient experience, and retention through cutting-edge technologies. We'll be speaking with like-minded industry leaders who will be sharing their learnings and spilling some secrets, too. Bethany, welcome to the show. It's so awesome to have you here. I'm really excited about this conversation. Um, I'd love to just get your view. What I love about your background is it's not exclusively from healthcare, but it's in these deep consumer-first industries and these big consumer-first brands. Awesome. Hey, Brian. Hey, Jay. So glad to be here. I'll start with that. Really grateful for this opportunity and to have this conversation with both of you. Um, yeah, from a background perspective, I came from early in my career, big brands, Samsung, American Express, IBM. There was a real um, consumer focus early in my my marketing career and what I what I the skills that I built early on. And that's what I've brought to the more recent roles that I've had as CMO, both at Cedar and now at Newfront. Yeah, I mean, maybe we just start at like a really arching question. And I'd just love because you have such a unique perspective on so many industries. It's like, how do you even begin to think about being consumer first? Um, especially in healthcare, it's it's something that still is not really the first default, even though that's the end product that's being consumed is the patient. Right. I mean, I think we can all agree that major aspects of the health system in the U.S. are broken. Um, and I feel it even now. Um, I just went, had a doctor's appointment yesterday and it was super confusing to get through. And I'll, I'll describe that probably in a few minutes. But um, I think the reason consumer first is difficult in healthcare is because it's complex. There's so many players Healthcare is a really personal journey for people, and it is bespoke in the sense that um, my health conditions are, are different from someone else. My health concerns, my lifestyle, all of that. So you're dealing, and then you're dealing with a lot of different um, organisms in this ecosystem. So from the healthcare provider, the clinician, the insurance companies, like it's it's a really complex industry to navigate, and. I think as much as all of these organizations want to focus on having the best experience for the patient, it's really complex to do so. And working together across an ecosystem is one of the things that makes the experience really tough. Um, so for me, being consumer first is really understanding the consumer first and foremost, and in this case, a patient. Um, but, you know, and that means understanding their pain points, understanding their needs, understanding the way that they want to engage with the health system. And again, it's tough because everyone has a different perspective on that. But I think the common themes are we all want simplicity, we want convenience, we want it to cost within the realm of affordability. Um, I think people are generally happy to pay for healthcare services. Um, they just don't want to be surprised by what it costs. And I think a lot of the the costs are inflated right now. So 
that ends up being a really bad experience for people when they can't afford to stay well. Um, and so, you know, understanding all of that, it doesn't make it any easier to, to solve these challenges. Um, but that's, I think, by and large, what I've been trying to focus on for the last 10 years of my career. Yeah, it's funny. How do you think about what you did right, whether it's at Skeeter or a previous company? There is this funny visual, and I actually never saw it of Jay's uh, previous company, Sherpa, that he took out this billboard and there was like this squiggly line visual showing this like rat's nest of healthcare of how people kind of traditionally are forced into it, where then Sherpa is this straight line of a stethoscope saying this is how we step above and kind of take care of the complexity for you. And I and from the outside in, I, I, I kind of respect and I feel Cedar's approach was similar to that of not just saying here, we only own this small slice, deal with the rest of the complexity yourself. Like, how did you think about that? And what did you feel that you guys did right from that consumer mentality? Yeah, Cedar's a great example. So Cedar is a health tech platform that focused initially on on just the payment experience for patients. And so um, the company mission grew over time and um, we started to grow and attack maybe more areas of the patient experience. But initially we started with billing and how painful that was. And I remember when I was joining the company or considering joining, I, as a marketer, just really loved the problem we were solving. And um, because to me, it felt so visceral. Everyone I talked to about the opportunity was like, oh my gosh, I have a really bad confusing bill right on my desk right now. Like, or I'm dealing with this thing and it would launch people my colleagues into stories immediately about how painful the experience was or how confusing, or it's just really memorable to people because if you know anything about the human experience, it's like we remember the beginning of things and the end of things primarily as we're dealing with an experience and billings at the end of your healthcare experience. So people are having these great clinical visits. They love their doctor. They love, they love aspects of, of, the care that they're receiving, but then they get this bill at the end and it's like super disappointing and frustrating and confusing and sometimes like life alteringly painful because if you receive a six figure bill for something and there's that shock factor um, and and just like, what am I going to do in, in a big bill circumstance? Um, you know, I think a lot of, there's a lot of pain there to solve. And so I joined Cedar because I think we were attacking something really important, but the way we did it was also, um, I think one of the best experiences I've had in a company was how logical Cedar was about approaching this problem. So, I mean, I think first we, we focused on the results um, that we were achieving through the platform and created a tool first and foremost through the platform that was really elegant, easy to use, I think about my other experiences at, you know, with technology at Samsung or, you know, the fintech experience with American Express, like these companies are known for having just like the ease of use from a technology perspective for people. And that's something they really care about. And that was, was one of the things that Cedar um, put first was we need a platform that is going to be easy to use and understand. And the fact that billing right now for patients is primarily paper-based and you're sending you know, paper through the mail and getting several notices that all say different billing amounts. Like it's just so confusing, but we can solve that through the, through the platform. So I think they started with a very simple 
problem um, in the sense of I understand it, right? It's not simple to solve it, but I at least understand what the what we're trying to do here by making the billing experience a lot easier and better for patients. And then um, we attacked it through, again, the really elegant platform and a focus on results of saying like, we know that we sell into health systems at the end of the day, we're not a direct to consumer platform. Um, consumers are using the platform, but they're not who are paying the bills, uh, so to speak. They're, they're paying their own bills, but not, not Cedar directly, right? So we have to work through a health system to um, deploy the technology. Um, I think at the end of the day, the results matter. Patients want to pay their bills. They're just confused as to how to do it properly. And so um, just by having technology that makes the experience more clear, more convenient, and, um, you know, painless, then you get an uplift in collections. So that was sort of the fundamental alignment that we needed to build between the healthcare system, health, health systems, and patients at the end of the day is like, let's just make this process easier for everyone across, you know, the whole ecosystem, and then and grow from there. And so I think the results matter from a you know, you get an uplift in collections at the health system, you have happy patients. So it was like an 88% um, patient satisfaction score. And then we had great NPS scores from the health systems themselves. So I think the current NPS at Cedar is 90, which is unheard of in the, in the healthcare space. So um, having these great metrics to sort of think through, and those were, those were the goals of the company is to make sure patients were happy, health systems were getting paid um, for the great care that they were providing. And everybody was, it, so this this sort of virtuous cycle, a win-win for both the patient and the health system, that was the very you know clear and simple message we were trying to put in the market. And again, it's not, it's very complex to get that done in a seamless way, but I think the message and what we were trying to do was pretty clear. So Bethany, that's that's pretty classic in healthcare, being like a B two B to C um, kind of you know uh, strategy. What did you guys find um, helped uh, that uh, help you connect with with actual consumers, uh, even though you were selling into health systems? Was it just the technology, yeah. or was there yeah what 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 beyond the tech experience did you guys employ? Um, I mean. The interface with patients was through the technology mainly, but we put so much time and energy into that. It's one of the things I really respect about the way that Cedar grew as an organization is because we had a team of data scientists. We had a team of product designers that did so much user research and um, interviewed patients, heard their stories, um, tested the product, retested the product. Every feature we built was was purpose driven and impact driven. So it wasn't, you know, we were we were aiming for outcomes, not features, basically, when we were building the experience. And so um, the patient was the center of all these conversations, and that's how we built the technology. And then at, at every um, instance that we could, without being annoying, we would ask for feedback, right? Like, how was this billing experience for you? Rate it, give us feedback, you know, that kind of thing. So when you're in a B2B2C space, you're, you obviously are juggling multiple audiences. And for Cedar, that was, you know, the buyers at the health system were, who were different than the users at the health system, 
who were different than the patient users, right? So we had to kind of, and and ultimately we were also talking to insurance companies to sort of bridge that experience between health system, insurer, and patient and creating this um, trifecta of communication through those three audiences. Um, so we were constantly navigating all of those waters, but from a patient perspective, you would communi- we would communicate with patients to get higher adoption rates through the health system itself. So people are coming into their hospital or health system, they would see signage, they would be able to sign up for text messages through QR codes that we would be advertising within the health system itself. Um, and because we, you know, with patient data, you've got to be really careful and you've got to have opt-ins and opt-outs and all of those things. So there was, there were ways we were communicating with patients, but that was mostly through the health system. At the end of the day, Cedar was a white labeled platform. And so, um, that was sort of our connection point with consumers. And then, um, you know, a lot of our messaging also had to be geared toward the, the hospital or health system to say, here's the benefit that we bring, you know, a, a C- what does a CFO at a health system want to hear? What does a CEO at a health system need to hear? Um, which is really about the results that we're able to deliver and the patient satisfaction scores that are going to be improved after, you know, implementing a platform like Cedar. So those are kind of the ways we thought about it from a marketing perspective. But at the end of the day, we knew who our audiences were and how to engage with them. And really, you know, health systems want their patients to have the best experience possible. And so we needed to understand that experience better than than they did even on many levels. So, you know, focusing our research there was, was how we did that. Um, and really having those conversations with patients on a, I mean, we were talking to patients on a weekly basis, um, just continuously to get feedback. How did you think about finding like universal truths behind that? I mean, I would assume every patient feels so unique in their experience that even the billing experience becomes so unique to the dollar amounts, the coding, the communication delivery, like how did you start to try and find like the universal truths within that to to move forward to consumer experience? I mean, healthcare billing is 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 not new to attempts to digitize it, but there seems to be this relentless focus on the consumer experience you had. But how do you then find those universal truths versus just this these micro one off feedbacks? Yeah, I I think so. There's many ways we approached this at Cedar. And the first was the fact that there were a few universal truths in the sense that having a a digitized, but also super elegant, super um, consumer focused UI UX experience. um, That just is a general truth. Everybody's happier doing that than, than paper billing. Even we had 90 year old patients saying like thumbs up. I didn't have to search through my drawers for a stamp, you know, like those kinds of comments that we would get. So we could track general perceptions. And then to your point, like there were a lot of things that were unique to certain cohorts, like, but we could use the algorithms and the the data we were collecting across the platform to identify those pretty, pretty easily over, over the course of time. So it would be something like, you know, we could tailor communications around the size of the bill. We could give people payment plans around, you know, or opt into payment plans around the size of the bill. We we were constantly mining the data to understand what was driving different um, aspects of patient behavior 
and their um, their thoughts on what made an experience good or difficult or what needed to be improved. A lot of it did come down to size of bill. A lot of it came down to how much we were pestering people right at the end of the day. You, on, on one hand, there's a great aspect to reminding people they haven't paid their bill yet. On the other hand, you don't want to be you know, annoying someone with how much you communicate. So we were able to, over time, find the right, like, an optimized approach to all of those elements of the experience and, and what was driving those differences for people and preferences for people. And sometimes it could come down to, you know, time of day that we would reach out to people and what got the best response rates. And sometimes it would come down to what communication was around size of bill. I mean, we also had empathetic communication that we released through the platform around COVID and that whole time period, because a lot of people were in major distress, right? Both health concerns um, around COVID itself, other concerns around health that weren't they weren't able to deal with because of COVID. But then also like a lot of people were laid off from their, their jobs or had a very different job experience or career experience during that time. And so we were extending um, payment cycles for people and saying, you know, obviously we would work with the health system to do that, but our recommendation was to give people more time to pay their bill because they might be in a really terrible, you know, job experience at the moment and trying to figure out how to pay for their, you know, necessities. And so, um, you know, it's things like that, that you can, because we had a platform that was, we were able to communicate in real time with patients. Um, that was a benefit that we had to, to be able to customize their experiences by cohort, really. I had this like really funny thought when you said the 90 year old, the stamp, and, like putting them back away in their drawer. And I was like, you guys are the reason why the postal service is going out of business. <laughs> <laughs> Now we can just mail fun things. Like, don't you love getting just happy cards in the mail and not medical bills? That would be a much nicer place, yes. <laughs> I'm curious how you think about, almost to expand on Jay's question, the 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 adoption of the C and the B to B to C. I think there's so many companies, and at least I've had a lot of experience with that, where that B to B sale is made, then there's almost this assumption that there'll be this easier communication or kind of windfall afterwards. How did you think about it and what were some of the metrics or that you would uh, focus on and then causing that C adoption? Yeah, again, I think anytime we would implement the platform in a new health system, there was months of preparation for how we were going to um, help with adoption across the patient population. So from a marketing perspective, we would give the health system um, materials to use to explain the change that was going to happen to their patient population. There would be, you know, social, everything from social posts because, you know, health systems are online now. So they're talking to their patients through patient portals, through social channels, through point of, you know, like on site through IRL, they're coming in into the, the front doors of a health system. We'd have signage, things like that. So we were always um, thinking about, adoption rates and and how to make sure that patients were educated and that this you know hospital staff was educated to what the new processes and workflows were so there was a marketing component there was a service component there was um you know like there was a lot that went into any new health system adopting the cedar platform and you know troubleshooting along the way but 
a lot of the communications came down to, you know, things that we could do through the platform if we had, you know, depends on the mechanism of text or email or how people were, were signing up for things. But, um, but a lot of that communication had to come right through the health system itself. Um, But we were providing like that level of communication there. We had to do that at Sherpa. Um, You know, we sold into companies and then, you know, you had to rely on the the company to communicate, you know, what this thing was. And um, it's so hard because like, once you do that, uh, it's often, you're often missing a lot of like trackable data, you know, because, you know, if they're not, if they don't have those systems in place um, via like emails out to their employees or something like that, um, you know, it's just, it's really hard to know what you're doing well and what you're not doing well. So it's uh it's just such a hard space. Yeah, we, I, I, what I remember is um, we didn't have a, a lot of difficulty getting adoption on the patient side. Um, there was upwards of 80, 90% pretty quickly um, within three months of, of implementation. And so it, it was just, again, like educating people, making sure we had the, the right contact information because everything was happening through um, folks, email addresses. I mean, having proper contact information for all the patients was sometimes the most difficult part, right? Um, so that's why we had to attack it in three different, three or four different ways of like, okay, on site, through email, through text messages, if we had that ability um, and, and folks were opting in. But so it would be something that happened over time, but the, the rates were pretty good early on. Yeah, I mean, that is a wild number. Even when we talk to health systems that even just like, I would assume you probably then help them bump just like their adoption to any digital experience. Like that seems to always be a hurdle of just getting people into their patient portals or some kind of digital billing experience. They're usually very low adoption rates. So I would even assume there's probably this like all ships rise effect by them partnering with a company that's so consumer forward in their experience kind of adopts more digital uh, adoption across the board. Yeah, and I I think that's right. And I think um, we inherently, I mean, a lot of the health systems that were early adopters of CEDAR and and even later adopters, they were, you know, they, they had a mission for innovation around innovation as well. And so there was probably multiple projects going on at any given time that were trying to increase digital adoption and be more modern and focus on a consumer experience. Like if they were out there looking for Cedar as a solution, they probably had a more innovative approach to the patient experience in the first place. Um, And so like, I think there was a like-minded sort of side of of that when we came into play, because if a hospital is not really concerned about that, why change? They're going to stick with the status quo um, if, if innovation isn't important to them on that side of things. Now, there's obviously a very big financial component of this, but at the end of the day, like every health system is making decisions on a daily basis about what to do to improve their bottom line. Um, and some are leaning into technology in a greater, greater way than others. And some are going to be slower to adopt that and find it more difficult to make those um, investments because it is an investment upfront that, that does pay off pretty quickly, frankly, in the f- first few months. But, um, but that's a 
you know, they're still taking a risk to adopt anything new and, and implement that across their patient population. So they've got to have a mindset of like, this is the future of healthcare and this is going to be a markedly better experience. And we prioritize that among all the things that we could be doing right now. And so you you got to find kind of that sweet spot with people. And there is obviously legacy technology that a lot of health systems have in place right now through their EHR or, you know, whatever they've adopted in the past. And, you know, sometimes that they'd say, you know, we, we just spent millions of dollars implementing an EHR. Doesn't, isn't there like a bit of a billing functionality with this, like that we're getting for free right now? Yeah, there is, but it's not great. So you've got to make that decision on how you're going to prioritize that for your patient population. Is there any more of that conversation you can explore? It's kind of funny. A different conversation we had was with a, an individual around a technology that actually breaks the appointment scheduling experience. So they had the very similar, you know, these systems that implement and they, their primary kind of inverse of the consumer experiences around the Epic appointment system where that was their slice where they focused in of going, yeah, you have this kind of like bolt on or add on functionality when you get the EHR. But for them, they just like immediately by like inversing the consumer experience and surfacing it directly to the web experience versus breaking it this through this like post login, post portal. I mean, it was massive, just like the online adoption of, of web appointments. I'm curious anymore, even just that conversation to dig into, because I've seen that in many different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the experience that Cedar had for sure is, I mean, we would integrate the platform through the EHR um, in many cases. So if there was an EHR, that's where everything was the sort of the connection point. And um, there was because of, again, because we focused on UI UX, having a great ex technology experience that was felt very modern, felt very consumer focused. There was huge adoption because of that and a lot of value add there. Um, but it, you know, it's like, I think that's one of the reasons it can be hard to break in is because there's a lot of already legacy technology that you have to integrate with. There's like the interoperability issues. There's, um, you know, data privacy issues. There's so many issues to kind of break through and, and think through and make sure processes and workflows and the tech experience is like seamless throughout. Um, and so even, even still, you're getting a clunky consumer experience by saying like, all right, in one, in one, on one side of things, you've got a patient portal that feels like tech from the nineties. And on another side, you've got this really modern 21st century, you know, app that people are able to use that and they're, you're trying to make them as seamless and connected as possible, but it still ends up being like not the best end to end experience that you want ultimately, but, but it's better than it was. So I like that's the, the fragmentation of the healthcare system is, is one of the challenges. I mean, that, you know, some companies are coming in saying like, okay, I'm going to implement the best leading edge technology, AI, you know, like large language models, like we're pulling these things in something I'm working on at new front right now. It's like being the AI broker. Right. But like, there's a lot of systems and, and organizations in the ecosystem that are not quite there yet. And so at the end of the day, it ends up still being pretty clunky for people to say like, over here, I'm getting like these 
30 seconds of my billing experience is like the best ever, but I'm still hooked into a patient portal that feels kind of old and I can't, I can't find my login information and like, it's all disconnected. And so I think it's something we're going to struggle with for a while, but um, there's like little moments of hope, I think in there. Do you have, I'm curious if there's like a, was there any big surprises or even just like directions, even who was outside of billing uh, and all the consumer feedback that you got where, I mean, I think, I think the number, when you look at like macro trends, something like one in five people are happy with their healthcare. And like, we spoke to a head of uh, like consumer analytics at Press Ganey, there's something like 80 something percent of complaints were administrative and billing. Like, so literally you're telling me flipping the consumer experience and you're getting 90 NPS scores. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, the, and as I started this to, to talk about the simple problem of billing that, that Cedar started out to solve, eventually, you know, it became more clear. It's like, okay, it's one aspect to just pay the bill and get that to a place that, that feels easy. Um, but there's a lot of factors that are, are tangential to billing that are difficult and so one was integration with the insurance company, because at the end of the day, you're getting as a patient, um, you know, an estimate, uh, estimation of benefits uh, direction from your insurance company saying like, here's how much we'll pay. And that may or may not match the bill that you get at the end of the day, which comes from the health system or an affiliate of the health system, a provider who you didn't, maybe you didn't even know you had anesthesiologists from another organization that were going to send you bills, right? So it's all kind of disconnected. But I think for Cedar, it was figuring out that, okay, we've got to have a connection with the insurance company to make this like really seamless for people. They want to be able to pay using their HSA account. Like how great would that integration be for people? Um, the pre-visit experience and all the data you're collecting on the front end of a of an appointment is actually really important to the back end billing experience because if you don't have someone's address or you weren't um, the the health system wasn't able to intake all the right information on the early side of the process means we don't know where to send the bill at the back end of the process and so there was it was this sort of pulling a thread and figuring out there's a lot of other aspects that if we built technology to support. Um, that bigger end-to-end -end journey for a patient and bring in the third-party aspects of, through the ecosystem, including insurers and other um, tangential vendors like an HSA account, um, it's going to make things a lot better over time. So that's been sort of the, I think the tack that Cedar took was like really trying to bridge that gap over a period of, I mean, it, it takes a while to bring all of these um, organisms together to say like, all right, again, we've got to, we're going to share data and we're going to try to um, reconcile the experience between insurance and the health system for, for consumers, for patients. And so, um, you know, that was really where the direction of things went over time. But again, it's a lot easier to say it than to do it. And so, um, you know, building that process over time is I think where Cedar's going, but I see that across, um, across the healthcare ecosystem is like point solutions come in and do really well because they're focused on um, a very specific problem that patients are having, whether it's scheduling or billing or um, being connected with, uh, you know, the proper clinicians um, or, you know, what's, what's the right experience through telehealth or 
whatever. And then, but the, the challenge is connecting all those experiences together to feel, to give a patient exactly what they want. I mean, my healthcare experience this week was um, involved, confusing because it involved insurance saying something different than what I was innately programmed to do as a consumer. So typically I, I kind of have a chronic condition where I know exactly when I have an issue, I know exactly what to do. And I've been um, kind of programmed over time to just make a telehealth ap- appointment. It's quick, it's easy. I get a prescription for what I need very quickly and um, I go about my day. So I you know, had a problem this week. I w- thought I had a UTI. I was like, I'm just gonna make a, I'm just gonna make a telehealth appointment. And then I got a message that my insurance doesn't cover telehealth and I had switched to a new insurance company. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. Like, I don't know why they're not covering this visit. I can just go down to the corner and to the urgent care and and make an appointment and go in person. So maybe I'll do that because a telehealth visit isn't covered by my insurance company. So that's what I did. I canceled my telehealth appointment. I went to in person to have a physical appointment with a clinician and outcome was the same. I got a prescription, you know, they took the test, got a prescription, went about my, my day. But the, what I realized later was, oh, I don't know what I'll be charged for that because even though insurance covers that visit, it's probably way more expensive than if I had just gotten the telehealth appointment. But the fact is, I don't know. I won't know until I get a bill and then by then it's like, I've already made those decisions and maybe I know for next time, yeah, just make a telehealth appointment and pay the $75 that insurance doesn't cover. And that's way cheaper than actually having, going in, taking more time out of my day, having to slap around and, you know, do, take extra steps as a consumer, um, which I didn't want to do. So, you know, it's like, that's just one very simple example that people are thinking about all the time in their busy schedules and trying to take time off work and whatever they have to do. And I'm still scratching my head, like, why doesn't my insurance company cover telehealth appointments? Like, that seems so strange to me. I don't, I will never have the answer to that. (laughs) And I'll probably stop caring in a few days. But like, it really does seem strange to me that that would be a very misaligned incentive. I don't know. I don't know. Any any help you can give me, I would take it. But that's the level of frustration that you see. It's very minor for, in my experience, but like that's what patients are dealing with across the board. And in many cases, it's big, big issues, whether it's, you know, it's like I'm dealing with a UTI, not a cancer scare. You know what I mean? And it's like, I should be able to just move quickly and feel better quickly and, you know, get this taken care of without having to like make three appointments, cancel two of them and you know, that kind of thing. Thoughts Jay? I mean, that's all you live in is a virtual care delivery model. (laughs) Yeah. My thought is I just try to avoid that stuff as much as possible and work within what I call like little utopias in healthcare. Um, There's, you know, health plans out there that are doing interesting stuff and, and, and trying to build around that, that consumer experience. But yeah, I mean, it just seems like the uh, traditional payers and such are, um, you know, they're commodities now. So when you're a commodity, it seems like you don't really care much about the consumer experience because you know, like next year they're going to switch to another plan because it was like $2 a month cheaper, you know? So 
it's uh it's interesting to be i think in that position um as a huge company that everybody knows to not really be consumer focused at all um but i don't know you got to you got to hope for the best and hope that they'll realize that they're actually a consumer company and compete on that experience but it's few and far between yeah i think it's it's so bad that my only advice to people is don't get sick take care of yourself <laughs> try to avoid the health system as much as possible like eat well have a have a safe lifestyle like all those things because the last place you want to find yourself is in an er or you know having to deal with any any health issue and like and that's unfortunate right like it shouldn't have to be that way i mean because of the confusion and because of the uncertain uncertainty that people have around how much something's going to cost they just avoid the health system completely um you know because they don't even know what a what a normal checkup is going to cost or um you know how disruptive that might be to their lives and i think that's such a a bad situation to find people in but i think it's the reality that we face right now i love this movement toward uh, you know in america moving toward more of a, a primary care doctor relationship um because it's just i feel like it's pretty common in europe like everybody has their primary care physician and they've had them since they were young and have great relationships with them over the course of their lives and we just don't do that on the same level in the us and i think you know that's to our detriment yeah yeah it seems like that relationship should kind of move online though because people are moving around too you know agreed I mean, that's, that's agreed doctors are moving around patients are moving around and insurance companies are moving around and so it's just yeah there's really lack of consistency um in healthcare but you know i'm interested to think about like you know once the sort of like old guard that kind of is still making the shots calling the shots in healthcare are gone what does sort of like a millennial you know devised healthcare system look like and like what are these things where it's like paper billing isn't even like i mean they've never seen that before um you know uh i've never seen a world where i can't just talk to a doctor you know via telehealth or something like that what's going to be like the new normal 20 years from now or is it going to look you know different because you know in a lot of ways it's like that the sort of the leadership of healthcare is still you know it kind of looks like the uh the congress of of america you know an average age is 65 right so it's like when is this uh you know changing of the guard going to happen and what type of impact will it have on the economics yeah. of healthcare and the patient experience agreed agreed and i i think like and it's one of the things i experience at new front now being on the insurance side of things and an insurance broker that's really founded about around technology and and being tech enabled and and an industry just like healthcare where it's like a paper experience paper forward experience and forms that you're filling out and filing cabinets and data that's uh, unstructured that needs to be structured and the fact that in technology is coming into that industry finally and making some change is going to be super impactful but it can only happen because the decision makers in, in these companies are now digitally native and saying like every other part of my business and life is online and it makes no sense that my insurance policies are all still in a filing cabinet somewhere so 
I believe it will change in that direction, but yeah, it's just taken a lot longer in some industries. I always say that healthcare is about 30 years behind the times. So it's kind of nice though, because you can see how technology evolves and you're going to, you know, it's going to impact healthcare at one point. It's just a matter of like when, you know, so right. it's, uh, it's kind of cool that like the rest of the industries are kind of like, um, I don't know, uh, blazing the path, uh, for us. And uh, we just get to like, you know, pay attention to like what's happened in other industries and start implementing at the right time. I think the challenge in a lot of ways is people are building technology that they think should be implemented now, but it's probably going to be implemented in like 15 years. And so, right. How do you set expectations for those real go-getters? Totally agree. And I think that's, um, you know, I, I came from IBM prior to Cedar and spent a lot of time with the team at Watson Health. And that's another example of a, a company that came in with AI at, at the forefront of things. And maybe it was too early. Like, I think the the reason that things went the way they did with, with Watson Health and they eventually were sold off from, from IBM, um, it, there was a lot of challenges coming in with technology that was so new, um, use cases that were still really difficult to build out and data that had to be um, pulled together in such huge amounts. And again, it was still kind of a manual process a few years ago doing that and making sure that the AI was fed information that was actually at a scale that where it could be useful to predict cancer outcomes and and make diagnoses, um, which is one of the things that Watson Health technology was doing. Um, in some ways, it was just maybe 10 years too early to make that happen or, or that that uh, work had to be done um, to get us to where we are now. And I think with, again, some of the advancements that have come through OpenAI and um, GPT, like things are, we're in a very different world where everyone's talking about AI and moving um, some of those use cases forward really quickly. Whereas, you know, when Watson Health was around, it's like those things were taking years and huge investments of $4 billion, I think IBM put into Watson Health. And, you know, it was expensive technology at the time and, you know, a lot of learning to do still. And it, to me, it just felt like too much too soon, I think, at the end of the day. And it would be a slightly different story right now. It's so interesting to me because I kind of look at this as, you know, um, healthcare is never an innovator, right? I mean, I can't think of anything where healthcare was the innovation, you know, and um, we kind of had to wait for ChatGPT to arise. And remember, ChatGPT is just a free text box, like, you know, ask it stuff. And I showed my parents that and, you know, within 30 seconds, their mind was blown, right? And that's the kind of thing you had to wait for because the decision makers, again, back in you know, IBM Watson era was still like, they're not, you know, 25 year old tech people. Um, they're my parents basically. And, um, for sure. you know, you had to wait for ChatGPT to show something so elegantly simple and so powerful for, you know, folks like that to understand like the real power of, of, of these new technologies. Yeah. It's taken a long time to get here with a lot of work. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I think I think there will be a huge acceleration now of the use cases that are available in healthcare. I mean, I'm seeing them across the board in every industry. Apparently, every company is an AI company now. So, even yes. in healthcare, 
Definitely. There's that like investor letter joke now and you can see you just count the amount of times to say like AI and then the stock goes up. So That'd be a fun drinking game. So we'd all lose very quickly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. It's funny. There's It's almost industry agnostic and people a lot smaller than me always like do this kind of post case study of businesses with success or failure. And they're always like, what's the category that drove it? And everyone will take the stab at leadership, technology, whatever it is. And predominantly, it always is superseded by timing. It's just like the market timing and those things. And I know you advise other uh, kind of smaller startups in the healthcare space and others. And it's just like, how do you even, can you begin to approach answering that or advising that or even understanding maybe the timeline of that to go like, do you have the bandwidth in the heart? Because this is 10 years out. How do you think about that? Um, you know, I, I think every company's in a different place. And it's one of the reasons I like going in and understanding the business model and early stage companies are still many times looking for product market fit. And so, you know, I think what you need to be thinking about is the bottom of your funnel, not the top of your funnel and figuring out what recipe works for your company and, and what need you're trying to, to tackle um, and, and what's really going to work for, for your audiences. And so that's like the first formula you've got to figure out and then you can scale. Once you figure that out, then you can worry about the top of your funnel and finding other ideal customer profiles to go after and then make your big investment in in that in scaling in that way. Um, I think too often companies come in and say, we've got this great idea, let's scale it and put it out there for everybody without doing um, the right level of fit testing and, and understanding what what's really going to work for the market first meeting people where they are because like again if you come in with tech technology that's great and it there's so much potential but it's not a fit for your current customer base or you haven't found that fit that's i think where it goes wrong um because there's there is potentially a use case for you know this very advanced technology in the case of watson but you know like what's the timeline to execute on that and what's the appetite for that expense and the timeline and the work that's going to be needed. And so I would argue they just didn't have the right product market fit early on and it was going to take too long to get there. So that's kind of how I think about it. But I think that's my advice to early stage companies is like really understand what value you're offering to what, you know, what buyer. And then you want to, once you find that perfect match, then you can scale it and bottle it and package it and go. But until then, you got to keep working at the very bottom of the funnel level of like what's going to scale. It's funny. I have this like funny thought now. It's, it's, it's always that like what problem are you solving, not what feature are you building? And I, I think I know Bethany's secret sauce to like what industry she goes into now. It's like you open up your file cabinet and you're like, what industry do I still have paperwork for, for like 20 years? Yeah. And it's just like, in hindsight, it makes sense. You're like, people have been pissed about medical billing for a really long time. There's no, like, there is zero timeline to explain to someone that this is a problem that needs to be solved. And then I look at insurance is the next one. It makes complete sense. Yeah. I do have an addiction um, to coming into sort of, backwards industries and, and outdated industries and creating a sexy brand 
in that very unsexy space of paperwork that needs to go away um, or, you know, pain that people are feeling around lack of convenience and efficiency and things like that. But I mean, these are some of the most important industries out there, but they're, they're just not, not very interesting until you bring technology into the mix and really make some change. So that's what, what's fun for me. And it, it feeds me a little bit. And I see the impact of that, like being able to see the impact right away, even if it's on a small patient population or a small group of um, business businesses who are engaging in that, um, that journey with you. It's like, that's, that's really interesting for me versus, you know, I think IBM made such huge global change, but I didn't feel very close to that as a, as an individual working at IBM. I mean, I saw it on a macro level, but I was like, is anything I'm doing impacting this? Like, I can't really tell, but working with startups, you definitely, I definitely feel a lot closer to the outcomes and, and creating something from scratch that is going to make change. So that's part of what I love as well. I think you get that, Brian. And Jay, like you're, say, and you're I, both in and there. I know Jay gets that yeah, too. <laughs> I think I think you both get it. It's a little bit of masochism in this, you know. <laughs> For sure, the pain, the pain's yeah. real. Yeah, I think that's why we're all here. When you go and move into like the mortgage industry, just call me and say, you know, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is a good question, and I don't even know if it's a good question to outro with. Of just was there themes that you found threaded throughout or surprised you now that you've come in and out of healthcare? Like, was there any of these like kind of consumer aha moments or was it just like, are you more that like, no, we're all stupid and it's like a consumer is a consumer. Um, my take coming from Cedar and applying my learnings there to Newfront and other companies that I advise is the fact that a lot of companies really aren't focusing on the consumer first and foremost, and that you could create a differentiated brand by doing that still. There's a ton of low hanging fruit in that space. And because that's my mindset, when I go into a new situation of saying, let's really focus on the patient, focus on the consumer first, I think that's what makes the differentiation so clear at the end of the day, from a marketing perspective and a brand perspective, um, people really appreciate brands that have been built around that. And you can tell when you see one. And that isn't a surprise to me as a consumer and as someone who appreciates that myself. But I think the surprise is how many brands just really aren't doing it. And so if you do have that mindset, you can really you know, make a difference. Um, I think it'll catch on over time uh, and more more people will think about things in that way, but it still feels like one of those opportunities that is, is untapped. What, like what's the, what's the lay of the land that's happening in Bethany's head when you come in? Is it like a function or role, a department, just like a mindset change? Like, are you looking to hire specific people? Like to me, I think this consumer healthcare experience is just the crest of the wave. So if someone's looking at this, like, is that a role? That you go like, okay, we need this person to sit in this to just even start the tip of the iceberg? Not really. I think my approach here is coming into a different company. Every company is sort of structured differently, has a different go-to-market strategy, has a different consumer or buyer. And so I have to come in and assess the situation. Um, and 
in the, you know, in some cases it's at Cedar, I built a full stack program from scratch. Um, at Newfront, I came into a program and kind of assessed the skills that were on the team currently and what we needed. And in the case of Newfront, um, I really focused on building product marketing and being able to tell our technology story in a way that resonated with um, our buyers and do that buyer and consumer research so that we could get really good at that. And so, um, you know, every situation is different and there's not one um, right answer, but I think you're assessing what you know about your buyer, what you know about your market and how to get in front of those individuals. And sometimes it's through content and thought leadership. Sometimes it's through SEO and digital channels. Sometimes it's through events and a really unique event strategy. So you can build long-term relationships. Sometimes it's all of the above. So I think, again, it starts with really understanding who your audiences are, and then you can make the plans from there, but it's going to be different in every situation. Well, we really, really appreciate the time and insight. Um, I'm curious if there's any um, startups slapping themselves in the forehead or just people that want to reach out to you, kind of any best way to keep in touch or just where you're active. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Please reach out. Um, love to have conversations with folks. I learn as much as I'm able to you know, give ideas. And I'm a marketing nerd in the sense that I could talk about it all day and, and talk about um, consumers and connection with our various audiences. Um, and so, yeah, LinkedIn, please provide that information, Brian, if that's possible in the show notes. But I'm here for it. So any, any brainstorming is welcome. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you kind of being a guinea pig and early conversations. And I have a feeling we'll, we'll have you back on because Jay and I talk marketing way too much as well. Let's do it. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Health Impressions, Authority, Acquisition, Retention. We hope you found the conversation insightful and thought-provoking. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review. Your feedback will only help us improve the show. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on social media, or you can send us an email at media at titlehealthgroup.com. T-I-D-A-L healthgroup.com. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep pushing the boundaries of your knowledge. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again soon.